Hello and welcome to Galactica. Actually, I'm Jamie Smith and joining me is my co-host, A. Diallo Jackson. Hello, how are you doing today? I am okay. How are you? Doing good. You know. Good. Today we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 2, Valley of Darkness. I don't have an explanation of why they named it that, but I did read that a lot of the plot from this episode was written for the previous episode mm-hmm. and they realized they had too much for scattered. Mm-hmm. So they jettisoned some of it to this episode and that's why it's a two parter. And then they added in uh, something. I don't know which parts added in. Oh, this, the, the actual the Cylons, Cylons boarding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, you know, so you know how I've been watching the original Battlestar and I, you know, keep finding connections and themes and stuff. And, uh, you know, right ahead of watching this episode, I had this like, oh yeah, I do remember there was this one episode that kind of remembered as a kid where it was like the big, like one where the, in my brain, I remembered the Galactica like got totally just like wrecked by the Cylons. Like they did this big, um, ambush attack mm-hmm. and so it wasn't like in line with the the episodes that i was watching but i jumped ahead to watch it ahead of this because i was like oh let me see if this kind of lines up and then it sure enough <laughs> like it's it's ba- it's not basically the same but the instead of the cylons being like a threat it was like a big fire uh, on the ship that they they were trying to put out, and I noticed how um, that episode seemed to <laughs> kind of suffer from what the I think that first episode of Scattered you suffered in quotes, uh, where it needed a little bit more, and so after the fact they added the Cylon raiding party. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was kind of the same as like a, a Cylon raider did an ambush on the Galactica, totally knocked out. Um, it was in the starboard uh, pod, flight pod, too. It was like, it was just, I was like, oh, wow, this has actually been done before. I mean, it's never been done before. I'm sorry. No, I'm sure they've never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we opened the episode with Billy and Dee passing each other in the hallway and, I mean, has there ever been two people more awkward around each other? <laughs> that's, so, that's what I wrote in my notes. So awkward. <laughs> um, Dee is pissed at Billy, and he apologizes for not making more of an effort or making their whatever this is a priority. And she shades him. By saying um, that he was too busy helping the president spark a mutiny on the ship? (laughs) Or was he waiting until he was desperate and needing a shoulder to cry on? And he says that that's uncalled for. And she apologizes but has to leave. And I just wonder if she needed to apologize. Women do this too often. They don't need to apologize for saying how they feel. That's how she felt. He... 
used her to get information not that long ago and then disappeared when he was siding with his boss, which of course he's going to side with his boss. He's Billy. He's not going to go against Rosalind. Yeah. I mean, I saw it is just like how I see lots of things. <laughs> it, it, it seemed like two imperfect people with two imperfect situations. And I didn't think that she needed to apologize, but I thought that they both were right and they both were wrong. And sort of like he, he did certain things, but his intention wasn't those things. And I yeah. think the fact that the fact that she sort of like capitulates kind of like, to me showed that, yeah, it just was, it was, it was more about them just communicating it, uh, rather than anything else. So yeah, they get, they get through it <laughs> by the end of the episode. So yeah. Cause I, even in the episode before with the, with the, the mutiny thing, he, it, he was sort of like, he wasn't, he wasn't really on board with it or no, with the gathering of the information. He like the scene right after it, he was like, you know, I don't think this is right to her. It's like, but he kind of was thrown into the situation. So, yeah, um, but he didn't really have a right to say that that was uncalled for either. Cause it was called for. So yeah. Yeah. So meanwhile, Ty is watching over Adama and sick bay when the power suddenly goes out and then it goes out in the CIC and the hangar bay. The pilots return from their mission and they're like congratulating themselves and celebrating and whooping and, giving each other high fives and Ty calls CIC and Gata tells him that he thinks it was a Cylon virus that it must have spawned clones or copies of itself and was shutting down their system. The main power and auxiliary units were knocked out and the emergency power kicks in. Um, Did you, when you first saw this, what did you, what did you think? I mean, yeah, the the repercussions of the Cylon virus, which we're supposed to, you know, think is the most deadly thing in the world, it, it like, made sense. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I was just along for the ride. <laughs> 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 it's like, I don't think, I don't think too many things when I'm watching things, actually, even though I might okay. expound, I might expound upon it after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I questioned whether it was a virus because the raider had crashed onto the ship. So I kind of chalked it up to that. Mm-hmm. And it turns out like it, I think it is the virus a little bit too. Yeah. And the, the, here's one thing. Um, and I think this is just because my memory, uh, like I've watched the entire series and my memory gets muddled a little bit. But I don't, I don't like remember because I, I kept thinking that this, this particular scene in my head happened in this episode and, and it didn't where they were, I think we we're in the firing, firing range and the oxygen went out. I think it was like Starbuck and Apollo or something. And I thought that it had, to, that had to do with the virus, but that was that later when Sharon appears and she like plugs into the system. Like my, my brain got totally yeah. muddled there. So yeah, no, that's definitely later. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but I mean, that's why I was like, oh, I thought that it all had to do with 
the virus right. and they didn't they didn't really they didn't really talk about it or so I'm not sure. <laughs> Lee is celebrated by the other pilots when he comes down from his plane and he's like I'm not sure what you're kissing and hugging about we screwed up and we let one through and Kat then asks what's going on with the lights and Lee is not sure Gata isn't sure if they can reach the rest of the ship when there's this like boom and flickering of the lights and Ty asks what that was meanwhile we're back to the flight deck and Jammer is filling Lee in he says phones aren't working other than the sound powered phones Lee tells him to get the planes tied down and he'll head up to CIC to see what's going on. I meant to Google what sound powered phones are. Mm -hmm. I mean, it aren't all phones (laughs) sound powered. I don't know. (laughs) It's a, a weird phrase. I meant to Google and I didn't. Captain Kelly gets word that they have been boarded by the Cylons at the starboard flight pod. Now in my um, official companion, it does say that Captain Kelly, that this actor was in the miniseries, like you thought, but yeah. on IMDb, it doesn't say that. Yeah, I thought it, when I, I actually had looked it up after the episode, I was like, yeah, he was, because uh, he, he was in, I remember he was in that sequence when, um, uh, at the opening sequence, when uh, Starbucks running around the ship, and they're just popping in on different conversations and i remember him you know saying congratulations Mm. sir or whatever yeah i don't know why it's not listed on imdb unless it's one of those weird things where it's like the miniseries is listed as something else and i just didn't scroll down far enough um just backtrack a little bit um a sound powered telephone is a communication device that allows users to talk to each other with the use of handsets similar to conventional telephone but without the use of external power so okay yeah okay that cool. technology has been in use since at least 1944 it says so that's what that is okay. <laughs> <laughs> so back to not 1944 lee leads the pilots as they and as they're like walking down this hallway they're like telling tales about what they did while they were out in their planes like you know kills that they got or whatever yeah they were very excited and yes and then while they're doing this a centurion steps out and slashes flyboy with his razor hands and my question is did they have razor hands in the og series oh not at all (laughs) yeah not at all yeah uh they yeah i mean i i've been thinking about this a lot (laughs) what this episode and then watching the old episodes and just like the choice to do the Cylons the way they did in the new show made a lot of sense. Because, um, you know, the old show had a bunch of guys walking around in like chrome costumes that were like pseudo stormtrooper outfits. Yeah. And def- definitely did not have the same like threat that I think that they would have wanted for this particular show. Um, mm. It definitely comes, there's an element of cheese to the old one, even though I love it, you know, but. It's kind of like, how do you look at a Dalek and find it scary? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I actually like how they, they do double down on, yeah, they're just scary. Deal with it on the, on the yeah. new show. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so they, yeah, they, they made them, 
you know, watching this show, you see just how much bigger they are than the humans mm-hmm. and um, how much harder they are to kill. So, yeah, they definitely did not have razors, though. They were just basically, like I said, like stormtroopers. A couple yeah. of them had swords and... <laughs> There was there was a, the one thing that they one thing that they didn't transfer to the new show is there was like the leader of the Centurion troops always had like a gold so there was like a gold um, Cylon I never saw one of those pop up on a uh, on the new show so, no yeah okay so anyway they all scream and Lee shoots at it as they run. They get to a ladder and start climbing and Lee is shooting at it, but his bullets just aren't making a dent. And it's about to slash him with its razor hand and suddenly its head explodes and three Marines come up behind and have shot it with explosive rounds. Lee checks with the pilots, make sure they're okay, and then he asks these Marines what's going on, and they tell him that they've been boarded, but they don't know about how many or where they're headed. Another Marine tells him that standard bullets don't do anything. The explosive rounds are the only way to take them down. So Lee asks how many rounds they have, but that was their last one. So he quickly writes a note and tells Hot Dog to take it to CIC and to give it to Ty or the officer in charge. And then he tells the Marines to come with him. And he says, let's go toaster shopping. I love the little the little touch he does of doing like little breathing exercise <laughs> before, mm-hmm. before he starts writing it down. Uh, yeah, they. I always kind of feel a little like watching that sequence always feels a little weird because... They ran so scared, and mm-hmm. I kind of feel like as soldiers, they should have reacted a little bit differently, but, you know, whatever. They've never seen any. Yeah, like I said, I don't necessarily, I mean, it's actually understandable, but at the same time, I, it, it just seems that they're soldiers. Like, they're, they, it just, it, there's a little disconnect there for me. But it's, I get that, but I also think about it like they haven't seen Cylons for 45 years, so all of these soldiers have been fighting each other mm-hmm. in these like colonial infighting until this treaty that happened not that long ago all the stories about cylons are stories they've never seen them ever so this is the first time that even lee has ever even seen a centurion mm-hmm. and they're huge and they're powerful yeah and he's the only one who doesn't like i mean i'm not going to say he didn't panic. He ran. He's had to. But his training comes in better. Well, these other people aren't soldiers either. Like Cat and Hot Dog, they weren't soldiers. Yeah. No, I, like I said, it's actually understandable. I I just, I think I'm kind of thinking in terms of like directing the scene rather than how they actually would have been. I don't know. It just, I just wish they had... I, because they were like shout, like it, it felt, it felt like a fun house when you have a bunch of little kids running from like the monster that jumps out. Like that's what it felt like to me. Like they're like, ah! <laughs> yeah, that's see what you're saying. That's all. That's all. But like the, it's a, it's like they could have still ran and all that stuff, but it just felt a little bit, a little too. But it's, it, I mean, it was like it was not even thirty seconds of. Mm-hmm. screen time so 
but it's like, I'm like, whatever. I know that it's like, it was, it's like the quickest, easiest way to get, move on to the next thing. But yeah, that's all. <laughs> I, I think it was, it might've been Ron Moore who said that, no, it's David Icke said that this episode gave them a chance to do like aliens on Battlestar Galactica. And I see a lot of that influence maybe even alien more than aliens yeah um sort of you know being on this ship and not knowing where the monster is gonna come from Mm -hmm. and really being outmatched by something stronger like not all their their weapons are next to useless except for these particular rounds that they have that they don't have very many of for some reason and it seems like the Marines themselves sort of kept it together and were out there, like, trying to fight these guys. And then Lee just gets sort of dropped into this and his training kicks in. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I really like Jamie Bamber in this episode. I think Lee is just great all around. Mm-hmm. So... I'm I'm not gonna fault him for being a little scared at first. The first time he sees a giant robot, him with razor hands. Uh, well, again, like I said, it just it it's it's a str- it's a small quibble, you know, like yeah, because like they they do all get it together right after. If they're the still doing shot. this after like the Cylon occupation of Caprica or New Caprica, <laughs> then maybe it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. They they did they do talk a little bit about I I was doing some reading and stuff and because um, like I think we see obviously um, Hilo had, was like in a different situation on Caprica mm-hmm. and they were like trying to keep him alive or whatever um, but his bullets seemed to do fine against the Cylons and then there was just some re there was some writing about oh these might have been like either an evolution of the Cylons or improvements or they could have been like a type that was the for the boarding, the raiding party. So they had more Yeah, armor. I read that too. Yeah, so that was just a, that though that these ones might have stronger armor. Which makes sense. Yeah. Because also the ones on that Hilo was fighting I don't think had razor hands. I don't. I think this was the first time I've seen Razor Hands. I can't even remember. Um, Except in the opening credits. The oh yeah, show. yeah, yeah. And then, and then there's like the and like the the ship might wouldn't necessarily have explosive rounds because like why would I know to have explosive rounds? Number one, um, right. And then number two, we it was a ship that was being decommissioned. Right. So, like, they, I mean, they had to go to, uh, was it Ragnar Station just to get munitions, so. Mm-hmm. All right, so back to Gaeta. He's addressing the fleet, telling them that the Galactica has been boarded by Cylon, a Cylon raiding party, and to not approach the ship, and then the Cylons jam the signal. And I know that they say, like, they're going to, you know, keep their distance Mm -hmm. but later on they show and i'm sure it's just a stock image of the fleet you know sort of place setting but the galactica still seemed really close to those other ships that's all i'm saying yeah they you know that was just to show (laughs) you're talking about the one where it was like because like the galactica definitely looked like it was like 
kind of floating out of control or something, right? And the other ships were going No, it just looked like, like you see the round ship and a couple of the other ships and the fleet ships seem more clustered together, but Mm -hmm. the Galactica is sort of in the foreground and it just doesn't seem like it's quite that far away from them. Yeah. There was a... But I think that's just a stock, like, here's one of our images of of the fleet, you know? Yeah, I do remember Ron Moore said, and I... I didn't look at the deleted scenes. I probably should have, but uh, I think he did say that there were. It was either it was either in the script or they might have shot it where there were a bunch of um, ships that were actually attempting to dock with Galactica to to um, help it out, you know. And then the, and that's when they were like back off. So they didn't show those parts. They just had that dialogue of them saying "keep your distance." So that was. I mean, so if you kind of take that into account, maybe that's why they were so close. And one thing about this episode is uh, apparently I kept like everything that I read about it everywhere. And Ron Moore keeps saying this is how much this one was edited, like um, because they had to really do a lot to make this one actually work. (laughs) So. Oh, really? Yeah, they had to do a lot. And I could kind of when I was watching it this time, I could kind of tell. I was like, oh, yeah, I can I can kind of see, like, compa- when, I, when I realized that this was like a, you know, this was like an add-on to the first episode, but they didn't quite have enough for this episode. So that actually, the awkward sequence that we opened with, with uh, Dee and um, Billy, was actually shot after all of this because they needed to pad... The, I shouldn't say use the word pad, but they needed to expand on the show, so they used that as the framing device for it. Um, so it wasn't originally like supposed to be in play. So they had to just do a lot of that kind of stuff to make okay. this episode actually work. In the brig, Rosalind, Billy, and their guard or her guard, his name is Venner, hear gunshots. Rosalind tells Venner to let her out and he says he can't and she says that she is not going to get shot by Cylons like a rat in a cage. Open the door. (laughs) Open the door! (laughs) Um, So he relents and then someone starts turning the handle on the door but it ends up being Lee and his team. Lee fills Rosalind in on what's going on and she asks how they can help and he says to stay alive. Then he directs them to sick bay, which also moonlights as a disaster shelter in emergencies. He gets a gun from one of the Marines and gives it to Billy. And he's like, have you ever shot one before? And Billy's like, a pellet gun? <laughs> and Lee's like, well, it's the same concept, just louder. <laughs> um, he tries to give one to Rosalind, but she refuses it. And so then he addresses Venner and tells him he's in charge of getting her to sickbay and sends a Marine named Bonnington as an escort. He tells them to head away from the sound of gunfire. She asks where he's going, and he says towards the sound of gunfire. (laughs) Then he tells his team that there's a small arms locker on Causeway Bravo two decks down where they can get some explosive rounds, and then they'll head for the magazines. And then... We go to Caprica. We have Hilo and Starbuck walking through the streets, and Hilo tells her that they should probably head out of the city and see if they can find a raptor. And she notes that she expected to be stepping over rotting bodies, but there aren't any. 
He tells her that Sharon told him that the Cylons had troops picking up the bodies and transporting them to mass incinerators. And she's just like, what a lovely family your girlfriend comes from. Really good people. (laughs) And he's just like, all right, enough. Like, I get it. I'm an idiot. I fell in love with a machine. And she's like, yeah, you are. And he's like, I was here for months, just one step ahead of the silence. And then Starbuck gives him this look, and he's just like, right. Right. That's why I was one step ahead of the silence because of Sharon. Like, <sighs> poor Hilo. And then he's like, I, I, she has the same mannerisms, the same laugh, all the little things that made Sharon Sharon. Like, how was he supposed to know? And Starbucks like, yeah, you're an idiot, but the Cylons have a way of making us all look like idiots. Yeah, that's... I I felt a little bit like she's part... Like, she's right in certain ways. I didn't like how she was characterizing him as an idiot. <laughs> um, I mean, he had no way of knowing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he had... No, he had, like, he... She like those thirteen episodes. Um, she experienced so much in those thirteen episodes to kind of like have her viewpoint at that point. But he was mm-hmm. going through the same thing, and he didn't. He he had no concept of anything. He didn't even know that they were human until like a few hours before this scene. So right. it's like. I, it was just, it, it felt a little bit like, oh, men are dumb, right? You know? <laughs> well, I think that's how she's behaving. Yeah. But she's also not always fair. Yeah. But then, you know, I, I like I wrote, like, yeah, she's, she's a little bit high and mighty. But then mm-hmm. I like how she kind of pulls back a little bit because she, like, she kind of realizes that she's just as guilty in a lot of ways because she she didn't really real i mean she didn't because she didn't even know sharon was the cylon until so she at at the end she kind of it kind of was like okay yeah i you know when she said it yeah like i you know they make us all look like fools but she just she felt a little too high and mighty at that yeah at that point with i don't i don't think he was being dumb (laughs) He was being... He wasn't. Like, yeah. he feels he feels dumb now. Yeah. Like, he should have seen it. But, again, there is no way for him to have seen it. She was exactly the same as mm-hmm. the Sharon that he knew. Yeah. So, Starbucks sort of veers off down these, like, it's, it's almost like she's going inside a warehouse or something. And he's like, where are you going? And she says, I have to make a pit stop. He thinks they need to keep moving, and she's like, well, I have a place here. Mm-hmm. So we go back to the Galactica, and Gaeta gives Ty and Kelly a rundown of where they're at. Cylon virus spawned itself in their subsystems before they broke the network. He got, he's got he got teams cleaning out the subsystems, but it'll take at least an hour before they can restore main power. Kelly says what few Marines they have are assembling their checkpoints, but the comms are spotty. And Ty asks where the Cylons are. So Kelly tells him that they seem to have split into two forces, one moving forward, and then he's cut off by Ty, who says, and one moving aft. And Kelly confirms this, and Ty says, I've seen this before. And he shows them on their little map of the ship where they're headed 
to the secondary damage control and auxiliary. Wait, I think I got that wrong. It's auxiliary damage control and secondary something. Okay, it's secondary damage control and auxiliary fire control. And he says, if they're successful, they will override their, the, decompre the decompression safeties and vent us all into space. Once we're dead, they'll turn the ship's guns on the fleet and wipe us out once and for all. It's a good plan. Yeah, it's a it's pretty make, efficient. Yeah, it makes sense. It's like a like a robot, <laughs> <laughs> like AI. So I'm head... oh, sorry, no AI is no. <laughs> I'm so not into it. <clears throat> we head to Cobal where Baltar is lying on the ground and he opens his eyes when he sees two raptors flying overhead and Adama approaches him to help him up and that's how we know it's a dream. He looks around and there are rescue teams with the survivors and Adama asks about what Baltar has in his arms. Baltar tells him that it's a child. Adama asks to hold it. So Baltar lets him and Adama looks at this child who we don't see we just see the blanket and he says is this the face of is this the shape of things to come and baltar confirms that that is his understanding so adama looks at the baby again and then says that there's only one thing for it then and walks off and baltar's like calling after him and no one is really paying attention baltar chases him adama walks into a lake and pushes this baby into the water and then walks away Baltar starts searching and he can't find the baby and he wakes up yelling no and he's got his head in Six's lap and he tells her that Adama killed their baby and he asks why would anyone want to drown a baby and she tells him that the answer is all around them so they look around and they see that there are these bones and skulls all over the place and he asks what happened there and she tells him it was human sacrifice and then I I wrote down exactly what she says, which is not the fairy tales your scriptures would have you believe. He says, I thought Cobol was supposed to be a paradise or something, someplace where the gods live with hum humans in harmony. And she says, for a time, perhaps, then your nature, your true nature asserted itself, your brutality, your depravity, your barbarism. And Baltar says, so the scriptures are a lie. It's just all a lie, a cover-up for this savagery. And she says, exactly. All of this has happened before. All of it will happen again. Baltar thinks this means Adama. And she says, mankind's true nature will always assert itself. And Baltar says that, so he will try to kill our baby. And she says, only if you let him. And I like this because it's true about humans. Mm -hmm. Humans are incredibly brutal and we will just fuck everything up like humans love <laughs> to fight and have wars and kill each other and destroy things and are never happy with what they have so it just sort of rings true but at the same time I read something that was like how would she know about any of this stuff? And were these skulls and bones really there? Or is this another thing that she's sort of making Baltar see? Is this sort of feeding into her plans? It's hard to tell. Yeah. You know, so when I, when I go off of my theory that she's like an, like she says she's an angel and um, that shot, the very last shots of the show, 
before they go to that really on, too on the nose uh, robot montage. But with uh, Head Baltar and Head Six talking, my assumption is that they can travel and see whatever they want to see. So to me, she would know that if that were true. Um, but on the same hand, I do kind of prescribe to this idea that she might have been showing him um, something that happened, but that wasn't literally there. And I only say that because when I first rewatched it, I was like, why did he go to sleep in a pile of bones and not notice? <laughs> exactly yeah unless he could have like you know wandered through there in some other state like we see him do but i just it was so i i was kind of like when i read that yeah she could have been showing him something different i kind of i went with that in my head because that made a little bit more sense but i i do take what she is saying as truth um yeah and like you said like you were humans are terrible that's why i don't ever Mm -hmm. like you know, you take a show, I think we talked about it in the last episode or a few episodes ago, you know, like, um, like Star Trek is a society that, you know, sort of like based on all these higher ideals, but the only reason why they follow through on any of that is because they have achieved this society where they're not fighting over resources anymore. So it like alleviates all of that, those mm-hmm. like those triggers in our that are deep very deep in our human nature and actually deep space nine actually explores that in an episode um in the i can't remember exactly the season um but the it's like bashir and jake i think jake's like doing a he's like doing a journalism thing and they get trapped on this planet or whatever um and they're in a they're in a situation where they have to become very brutal. And I want there's some character kind of comments on that. It's like how they all with all the humans that they've encountered, they're they're, they're capable of so many great things. But if you corner a human, they will be more brutal and more depraved than almost any other species. Um, and I think that's like true, right? It's like our base human nature. If you find that right click, <laughs> then the next thing you know, you're uh, eating your best friend. That uh... <laughs> spoilers for the show that's currently airing. <laughs> we, I didn't say the show. But, I didn't either. Yeah, but you know, but I mean that 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 explores that too, right? Or like any like I watch all these survival stories. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like when when it comes down to like. If your brain starts to process something as like life or death, you start making choices you thought you never would make. You know, you would think you might yeah. be better. You might think you might be better than all of that, but there's there's a reason why humans have flourished as much as we have because <laughs> we have this well, killer instinct about things. That segues really well to someone in our next scene. Lee and his team reach a small arms locker after seeing multiple Marines dead in the hallway leading up to it, and they find Jammer inside. Oh, man. Lee tells Kat to search for the explosive rounds while Jammer tells him what happened, but Jammer doesn't really know he was in this locker and there was silence everywhere. Kat finds the rounds, but it's bad news. There's only six in the locker, and... Lee's like, well, okay, that'll be one for each of us and then two for me. 
And Jammer, ever the coward, objects, saying he doesn't know the first thing about fighting centurions. Mm -hmm. And Lee gives him a, like, for fuck's sake kind of look and then tells them to move out. I wrote Jammer doing Jammer things. (laughs) Yeah, like, the signs are all there. Yeah. Jammer is a coward. And he does the coward thing, which is hide... And not want to step up and whatever. Yeah. Ron Moore said that the implication of that scene was that he actually locked himself in there in the first That's place. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's such a, it's a little jammer. Should have yeah. known all along. <laughs> we should have known. Yeah. Signs are there. <laughs> we go back to Starbuck and Hilo and she shoots the lock on her door and kicks it in. And we go... It's this cool apartment. I know she doesn't like it. She says it's crap. But I like the idea of like an apartment where you kind of walk down the stairs into the apartment. I just mm-hmm. something cool about that. Uh, on her wall is this painting that's for people who have never watched the show before. It's kind of like a target circle pattern. The middle is red and yellow. It's surrounded by blue. And then there's red that bleeds into yellow that sort of goes out into almost a sun pattern it's really cool and we see it a lot later there are words painted next to it which i looked up to find out what they are because it's hard to see on yeah on the screen but it is a poem that she apparently painted on there and it says methodically smoking my cigarette every breath i breathe out the day with every delicious sip, I drink away the night, stroking my hair to the beat of his heart, watching a boy turn into a man. So it's probably about Zach, mm-hmm. who is the only like real significant relationship of her life that would inspire this kind of emotion from her, I think. Mm-hmm. Hilo takes note of the paintings and he asks if she painted them and she says that she did. So he's sort of looking through them a little bit and then he heads to the kitchen while she's looking through her stuff. He opens the fridge, which clearly has rotten stuff in it. Although it doesn't seem like Kara kept a whole lot of fresh veggies or whatever, (laughs) but I'm sure there was something in there, milk or something that is just rancid by now. It's been a month, a little over a month. Yeah. She finds what she was looking for, which is like a little cassette ish kind of thing she puts it in her little stereo and presses play the music is actually a song called metamorphosis five composed by philip glass it's from his 1989 album solo piano it's one of the few times that music not composed for the show is used in the show so there is a precedence here for what happens later with um with her dad along the watchtower yeah. yeah, yeah, a little bit. Hilo asks her how she got power, and she says it's batteries. They kept cutting off her power. It happens when you don't pay your bills. Um, he notes the music and says it's definitely not her, and she says, no, it's my dad. And she takes off her jacket, and he tells her that there's one package of noodles and asks if she didn't believe in groceries. And she just gives him a dirty look <laughs> and puts on her paint splattered leather jacket before sitting down on her couch so he then like flops into a chair and she's going through all this stuff on her table and she finds a cigar box which has one cigar in it 
and she says that she didn't really like this apartment anyway. The air conditioning didn't work in the summer, the heat didn't work in the winter, the rent was a crime. She finds a lighter in her couch cushions and lights her cigar and then says that she never pined over any of her stuff. She never missed it, but everyone she knows is fighting to get back to what they had. She's fighting because she doesn't know how to do anything else. And Hilo's like really listening to her. And then they both sort of stretch out their legs and which they both have injured legs essentially (laughs) yeah they both stretch out and then lean back in their seats allowing themselves to just relax for a little bit and it's just i love these scenes with her and hilo yeah it there's a there's like a lot about there's a lot to discuss about this scene i don't want to go on too long but in my notes i wrote like what you just said i just like i love these two so much like I love them so much, and this scene sort of, like, typifies why I love them. I just love their dynamic. I love the way they relate to each other. Um, There's, like, a harmony with them that you don't see, especially with Starbuck, with anybody else. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, I, you know, my brain started to think a little bit ahead, like, next episode or whatever, when they meet the Resistance, and just how he floats through the scenes, and she does Starbuck things, and he just kind of stands there and... He's, like, supportive, but not. He just, like, his presence is just so... I love Hilo so much. It's the lack of sexual chemistry or sexual desire between them. It's just this, like, completely platonic, I care about you and I know you. Like, Mm -hmm. he just knows, like, don't push in certain ways. Don't. Even when he was arguing with her before, it's like, this is what I went through. Like, there's just an understanding between them. Yeah. And, you know, like, he doesn't push anything. So he's like, did you make these paintings? And she says yes. And he doesn't ask any further because he knows he's probably not going to get an answer. Mm-hmm. So he just kind of takes a look at them and then moves on. And... Yeah, like, he listens to everything that she's saying, and he's not questioning, he's not judging her. He just, like, accepts Starbuck for who she is. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah there's this, like, fine. comfort between them. The, he's like, you know, I think we're way at the beginning, <laughs> we were talking about the show, um, you know, kind of comparing Hilo and Apollo, like, both of them do the right thing, but... Apollo does the right thing, but there's a lot of complexity to him um, and a lot of stuff underneath that sends him in a mental spiral, which Hilo doesn't really have that. Hilo, I was kind of thinking about this today. Um, Hilo is like just noble. He's just Mm -hmm. like a noble man. He's a noble human being. Like he just, there's, there's. In a good way, he's there's not like a lot of conflicting like thoughts or things um, going on under the surface, so that he's so and that comes across in his relationship with with Starbuck. So she can be Starbuck, and he can still be present with her without like trying to make her become something that she's not. And I think that's what it is exactly: is that he accepts her for who she is. He knows her faults. He does not judge her. And whether Lee means to do it or not, he does do it. Mm -hmm. And I think Starbuck never feels like she 
can she's good enough that she lives up to and that's also part of her problem with lee like she Mm -hmm. thinks she's not good enough around him she thinks that she's the screw up and he's the golden boy Mm -hmm. he and the difference i think between lee and hilo and their like do-goodedness if that's not a word but whatever is that Lee judges the people around him for not doing the right thing. And Hilo, Mm -hmm. it's not about, he's just like, no, this is what's right. Mm -hmm. And that's, this is what's right. And if they're, they don't agree, he's like, well, you're wrong. But, you know, I don't know. He he doesn't push back, I guess. Yeah, like Lee Lee is all mopey because uh, the president didn't back him or whatever they hit in his mind um, at the end of um, the the finale, uh, season one finale. But, like, I don't think that Hilo would have had that same, like, mopiness. It's just not about him. He's just, yeah. he's just sort of like... Not it's like Lee does things out of ideals and um and I and it's a funny thing to say because it's almost like he doesn't the ideals aren't him. He he reaches for the ideals, but I think like the ideals are Hilo. Mm-hmm. So they are him. So he's it's not like he's trying to be anybody. He's just this so it's his first thought to give up his seat mm-hmm. selflessly. And he's not moping around Right. on Caprica because he was left. He's just like, oh, I, I did something for, for humanity and that's what it is. And, yeah. You know. and like, I'm going to try to survive for as long as I can. Yeah. Like no hope of no real hope on his own of getting back to Galactica. He has no idea where Galactica is. He knows mm-hmm. in his mind, I made this choice and I am here until they catch me. And then Sharon comes along and suddenly it's like, okay, she came back for me. So then he has this hope of getting back to Galactica, but he never would have really tried to do that probably. Yeah. I mean, so I guess this is the Car- he would have. This is the Carl Agathon love podcast right now. Oh, yeah. And I'm here I for mean, it. I named, I named my, my car that I had for 11 years was named Hilo. Like, Hilo, yeah. <laughs> I, and it was very clear, like. That's a Hilo. Like, yeah. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, Hilo's always been among my top favorite characters in this show and mm-hmm. one of my top favorite characters in anything. He's just so great. And I was like watching as he le- leans back in this chair, thinking, did they mm-hmm. have to find a chair big enough for him? Because he's so <laughs> massive. <laughs> but he doesn't like. Except in one scene later on, he doesn't use his size to, like, he doesn't use it aggressively. Mm-hmm. He's not hulking around, like, being this gigantic six foot four broad man. He's just, because he's so calm and even keeled that he's not intimidating either. Yeah. And then, and then. The other thing, I so I just I have a few things to say. <laughs> that was just the first, <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of segues kind of what you're saying. Like so that just when they were sitting in the chairs, you're as a as a as a viewer of lots and lots of hours of TV, you're used to 
like space having to be filled by dialogue. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of expecting there to be this back and forth about something and the fact that they just sit back and relax. And that's all like the language that you need to be expressed to you about their, how they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, again, it's just such a, it's such a beautiful, powerful scene. And it's I, like, I can't get over it. And I think about it, like, you know, when we, you talk about like my, I have like, my memory gets faded about certain um, elements of the show, but this one is so solid yeah. <laughs> in my memory, you know? Yeah. Like I, I remembered these scenes, but didn't remember that it happened in the second episode of season two. I, yeah, I knew it happened on Caprica, obviously, yeah. but I couldn't remember if it happened before they met the other people or after. And like, I, I also remembered her gigantic dumb car um, <laughs> but just the, and I remember her walls, like that painting on her wall, like it, it just really gives you an insight into her. In, yeah. And we know that like, she's impulsive and she's can be irresponsible and she doesn't take very good care of herself. And we see all of that here. And she gives mm-hmm. us that information with like, yeah, they turn your power off when you don't pay your bills. Yeah. Like, she's just so, <clears throat> so singularly this entity, this, there's no one like Starbuck, you know? Yeah, the paintings in the poem is, like, informs so much about who she is. Yeah. It actually, in some ways, like, explains the chaos that <laughs> that she can be. Um, as a as a creative person, I you know I I, I could sort of um, empathize with that. Um, yeah, and like that she did it on her wall. She didn't. There are yeah. canvases that she made paintings of, but that big painting in that poem she painted right on her wall of a place that she potentially could be evicted from because who knows if she's also paying her rent? You know. Yeah. Yeah. But like it's like she's got so much inside of her and she had to get it out. And it's also interesting to learn that somebody like her who's so brash and tough and insubordinate and all these things that Starbuck is that we've learned about her from the last season is secretly creative. Yeah. In an arty way, not in a, like she thinks outside the box. So she comes up with these military maneuvers that they wouldn't think of, but like she's Mm -hmm. creative artistically. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she gets that from her dad. Yeah, and that that was the other thing. It's like, yeah, her dad was an accomplished pianist, so you definitely can see that connection because we we already got a little snippet of her mother, um, so you can kind of see there there you can imagine this contrast in her life and how it went and how she ended up, and there's all these conflicting things about her all the time, and she doesn't really know how to how to, you know, um, to navigate that. So what we get is Starbuck, <laughs> you know? So that those are like the, the in-universe um, things that I, I wanted to bring up. But a couple a couple things, uh, just sort of like how the scene was like, or the uh, that location was set up or something. Um, I think Ron Moore said that um, Tomo and Katie actually came in a few days before that and actually painted all of that stuff. 
Really? Um, yeah. That's what he said. Tom and Katie painted that stuff. Well, so Katie painted the painting and the poem, but they, they're the ones that went in there and they did the whole that whole space. He said that in this podcast, and I know when he was talking about, like, he when they start referring to that picture, the painting mm -hmm. later, he said that that wasn't their intention originally, but he kind of went, they, like, you, you started talking about how haunting it is, right? Like, you notice it when she walks in, and I think that they kind of went in after the fact and made that a part of the, like, the mythos. Well, that was smart. Yeah. I, it's and, just very memorable, that image. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's one other thing. <laughs> I have to pull in the original Battlestar. <laughs> I was uh, just watching a completely unrelated uh, episode, and there was there was one where they were... They had been on some planet and whatever. They were in some cave, and um, I think there, there, there were some people that were... They were like kids or something... And this one girl had drawn all of these pictures, and there was one planet on there that definitely was Jupiter. And because the Galactica didn't have a reference for what our solar system was, was they didn't really understand what it was. When you look at the picture, you could tell it's it tell it's our solar system mm -hmm. and then i can't remember exactly what happens they they kind of i think they left or something then they realize oh that's probably oh she saw she she said she drew them because she saw those pictures on a cave painting or you know a cave carving or whatever but the fact that she as a little girl was drawing this picture of jupiter as well like obviously my mind totally jumped <laughs> totally jumped to this and again it's just one of those areas that i think like it was an unintended uh connection that we like we've encountered frequently so far where a writer might not have uh watched the episode but it's almost exactly like <laughs> like something that we've seen so those were all the things that i just wanted to, to bring up about the scene um okay. it's just yeah it's just like a it just it's just such a cool however long it is two three minutes <laughs> i think it's probably more like i don't know it's probably like four minutes yeah and it and you know ron moore says like it doesn't it's actually it's an interesting scene because it actually doesn't move the plot forward at all no like there's nothing plot wise about it but it's all character and it's like so powerful it's just so powerful but that's always the most powerful stuff is character mm -hmm. stuff like yeah that's one of the things that was so great about Game of Thrones in the first few seasons was, you know, often the most powerful scenes were two people talking somewhere. Yeah. Um, another podcast I listen to likes to reference people talking in beautiful rooms that often you get the most from those scenes. And it's true because those scenes are generally character driven instead of plot driven and mm -hmm. this like it's not like there's no plot here these two are taking a respite he's been on the run she thinks they're stranded they're both really tired she's just been through a fight with a robot like and oh we're right by my apartment like it makes perfect sense but it's just so nice to like 
have some room to breathe. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, when I say plot, it's sort of like they didn't, there was nothing that no, they needed in there. The plot. Other exactly. than, yeah, other than the keys that she gets. Well, that's another thing. I think that there, there's speculation that that jacket was actually her father's jacket, um, that she wears the paint splattered jacket. Her dad left when she was a little kid, so I'm not sure if she would. Maybe, I guess. It's yeah. possible. Don't know. Anyway, getting back to the situation on Galactica, Rosalind's team is moving through the ship. She asks how far it is to sick bay. Venner says it's 60 meters, and there are dead people all over. And Rosalind crouches down to check on one of these bodies, and someone behind her says she stopped breathing a while ago. And it's Dee, who appears to be in shock. Billy keeps trying to get her to, like, look at him, and he's repeating her name. And Rosalind very smartly says to – tells him to use her rank. And when he does, Dee snaps out of this, I don't know, fugue that she was in and acknowledges him. And she says she's glad to see him and that she's been in the dark for a long time. Mm-hmm. Rosalind suspects that she has a concussion and she then tells Benner that they need to find an alternate route to sick bay. They need to go away from the Cylons. And so he says they can go along the starboard side, but it's longer. And we know that that's not the right way to go. Oh, we know. We know where the Cylons are, but they <laughs> don't know. Gita fills Ty in on the situation. There are two Cylons that have been destroyed and a third that is trapped in the laundry. It can't walk, but it's still shooting. Kelly notes that that means they contained the threat to the auxiliary fire control, but Ty is not celebrating yet. They're still headed for damage control, so they still could vent all of the air and kill them. Um, Gaeta is handed a report, and he tells Ty and Kelly that Sergeant Hadrian reported that her unit had to halt their advance on Deck 10 at frame 69. The Cylons cut through the hull ahead of her, and the compartments are open to space. Kelly notes that this is smart. It keeps us from chasing them. And Ty, who is not really defeated, Ty sort of knows that that means there's nothing between the last two Cylons and the decompression safeties, and he tells them to start saying prayers. I'm uh, head cannon says Sergeant Hadrian died right after that. Well, maybe scene. since we never do see her again. Yeah, but it's <laughs> cool that they sort of acknowledge that she's still on the ship and yeah has some kind of combat training, whatever. They they uh in the. There's a deleted scene um, that actually has uh, – it's the same setup from the episode before where they were doing – with the flashbacks of um, Ty and uh, Adama uh-huh. back at some bar. And apparently they're talking about uh, – you, 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 re- you find out that Ty actually has had hand-to-hand combat experience against Cylons and he talks about this exact – situation and this is like this is why he knows exactly what to do Mm. and i think and um i think they said like again it didn't quite work when they were putting it in there but also is it made it a little too on the nose um so you because obviously you can tell he's experienced this before yeah but uh that's why he's so like they're going they're going aft they're gonna vent the ship you know 
Yeah. Let's get this over with. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Down on Cobol, Callie and Chief are making their way back to the team, and they are exhausted, so they take a break. And Callie is like, how much further? Chief doesn't answer. She says that Tarn getting killed wasn't Chief's fault, and he stays silent. And so she hits him and yells at him to talk to me, you mother fracker. And <laughs> he, like, looks at her and then just starts <laughs> laughing and is like, mother fracker. And he puts his arm around her and kisses her on the head. And she says that Sosinus better appreciate this. And Chief says that he's probably lying in the sun like some kind of emperor. She hopes he's okay. Chief says he'll be fine. He's a tough kid. They just need to get him the med kit. And then he's like, yeah, we got we to gotta keep moving. This is when Callie fell for him. You think? I mean, there was like a look. There was like a look. I was like, oh, this is probably when she started to like, be like, maybe there's a chance. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it's that magical kiss on the top of the head, I guess. Yeah, I hear it works. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we go to Crashtown, who is standing guard when Baltar comes up behind him. And he's like, where have you been? And Baltar says he got lost. Crashtown tells him that he can't run off like that. He's under his command. This is a military operation. And what he needs to hear from Baltar is, yes, sir. So Baltar says, yes, sir. And then that he's getting a really bad feeling about this place. So that's his Han Solo impression. <laughs> Crashdown says that he is too. And then behind him, someone says flash and Crashdown whips around and says thunder. And then they see that it's chief and Callie returning and flash slash thunder was the, um, it's what the allied guys on D day said. Because in case they got separated or in case they came up on anybody, they would yell. They would, like, whisper flash. And then the response mm -hmm. was thunder if it was a friendly. If it was mm -hmm. German, they wouldn't know what to say. And then they could just start shooting each other, I guess. The Germans. So Callie gives Celix the med kit. And Crashdown asks where Tarn is. And Chief just tosses him the dog tags. Crashdown asks what happened. And... Chief said it was Cylons, and he wants to know if they were followed, and they weren't. Chief then asks Celix how Sosinus is doing, and she tells him that there's nothing else they can do. And he just is like, what do you mean? We, that's why we got you the med kit. Just give him another shot. Like, what are you talking about? And she says it's too late. And he asks what that, mean, what that means, and she doesn't say anything. And then he's like, what was this all for? Tarn, getting the med kit. You have to do something. And she says that Sosinus is going to die and it's going to be slow and painful. But they can give him the Morpha from her med kit and the one that Chief brought back. Chief says no. And he turns to Crashdown, who basically puts the responsibility back on Chief by saying that Sosinus is your man. What and... a jack hole. <laughs> what a jack hole. Thank you. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Felix prepares the shot and then Chief sort of resigns to their thinking and he tells her to give him the shots and he, then he sits next to Sosinus, who looks terrible and is wheezing. And Chief just says, Well, I have something for the pain, I'm just listening or I think Sosinus asks where what he's been doing, and Chief says, I'm just listening to the birds. And then he's like, There's a rescue party coming and they're gonna get you back to Galactica and Sosinus feels comforted and it's like oh we're going home and 
Chief injects him, and then he dies. The only thing that could have made that scene better is if Tyrol said, Hey, big fella, sun's setting now. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> it's the sun's getting real low. I have no idea. I hate that movie, actually. The sun's so, getting real whatever. low. Um, yeah, that movie's not great, but... Not great. <clears throat> We're back on the Galactica, and Lee's team gets to another small arms locker. Jammer gets a phone working, and Lee calls CIC. He, Kelly tells Ty where Lee is located, and he notes that it's between the Cylons and damage control. So Ty takes the phone and asks for a sit rep from Lee. Lee tells him that they've only seen bodies between there and the hangar deck. Rosalind's group makes their way to keeps trying to make their way to sick bay. Duala is moving really slowly. She says she feels like she's walking underwater. Then we're back to Ty telling Lee to make his way to damage control. And then we're back to Rosalind's team. D notices that Billy has a gun and asks if it's his. And he says he guesses that it is now. And he sticks it in the waistband of his pants. And she's like, yeah, if you're going to, stick it down your pants like that, you should turn the safety on. So she switches the safety on for him. Do you do you want to know what I wrote in my notes? Is that I'm probably going to get canceled by this. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be my last episode before I get canceled. Um, I wrote D has got plans for that D. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Well, maybe. Maybe that's why she doesn't want it shot off. But that's also, what I'm like, saying. You that's idiot. Why are you sticking a loaded gun down your pants? D was like... At least I'm... stick it down the back of your pants, not the front. I got, I got plans for that. Ugh. Shut up. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, I'm a teenage boy. <laughs> um, the Marine can't get the door open and realizes that the other side is depressurized. Rosalind says to Venner that this is his shift ship so what's another way that we can get to sick bay and he thinks and then he says they have to go to aft damage control then we get lee repeating aft damage control and to make sure that we all know that that's <laughs> that they're all heading in the same direction ty says aft damage control get there or we're all dead and for good measure lee says aft damage control rfn which i'm assuming means right fracking now we come back from commercial with Lee's team getting to aft damage control. Lee directs everyone to their positions and they line up some cover. Rosalind's team like rounds a corner, but Rosalind halts them because she hears, I thought it was gunfire, but now I'm thinking it was the stomping of their feet. Hmm. Lee tells the, the team to hold their fire until he gives a signal and reminds them that they only have one round each. So they have to hit the silence in the head to get the kill. There's this rhythmic stomping. Rosalind's team ducks into doorways. Jammer is next to Lee, and he says he's not cut out for this. And Lee says that he isn't either, but sometimes you've got to roll the hard six. Jammer asks what that means, and Lee says he doesn't know. It's just something his father says. And then he tells him not to shoot until he's told to. Lee tries to convince everyone and himself that they're in good shape. We're in good shape. They wait. Lee repeats, headshot, reload, headshot, reload, to himself. The Cylons come through the door and start running. 
Billy pulls out his gun and Dee reminds him to take the safety off now if he wants it to work. The Cylons run past them and Rosalind gasps and turns to run and Billy, being a dumb civilian, jumps to run <laughs> and shoots his gun. The Cylons back up and start shooting down the hallway and their backs are to Lee's team. So Lee tells them to fire. Everyone jumps up and shoots. Lee, I think, gets one of them. And then the other one turns and starts shooting at them. There's a Marine that's killed. Lee reloads. And the last remaining Cylon rushes at them. And as it jumps at Lee, he shoots it as it goes over his head. So good. Venner rushes to Rosalind, who's on the ground next to Billy. And he asks her if she's okay. And she says she's fine. Jammer celebrates their victory they don't look so big now do they fucking jammer jammer typical coward behavior where you let everybody else do the work and you complain the whole time and then you're the first one to take credit oh look what we did group project (laughs) yeah jammer's definitely the guy in a group project who does nothing and then like gets into harvard because he got all a's from other people's work (laughs) Uh, D takes Billy's gun away. Venner asks Rosalind if she's been shot, and she says she doesn't think she has, but there's a bullet hole in her jacket. And Venner says that the gods must be watching over her. We return to Kara's apartment, and she's like sort of sitting there rooting around in her jacket pocket and finds some keys, and she smiles at Hilo and asks if he's tired of walking. And they go out to the garage to get in this... Humvee mixed with a pickup truck. It's like a car made out of Legos. It's so it's, boxy. Yeah, I mean it's a, definitely an old school Hummer, like a it's like a almost like an official military yeah. version of one. As I drove away, I was like, yeah, that kind of looks like military jeeps, but like the Humvee part, it's just so big. Yeah, I, I it was this scene from The Rock. <laughs> He takes the Humvee, like uh, Sean Connery steals a Humvee, and he's like, I'm only borrowing your Humvee. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in a really long time. Yeah, it's that's it's like, it's a, definitely like that old school type. It's very militaristic. Yeah, it's not the, not the ones we saw kinds. driving around L.A., which I saw a lot of Humvees driving around L.A. when I lived there, and I always felt mm-hmm. like, what the fuck are you doing? These streets are so narrow. I saw Arnold drive one right by my house once. Really? <laughs> yeah, he drive in his Humvee, which he which he went through pains. I'd heard before he had he had converted it so that it used uh, like oil, cooking oil or something. Um, and he complained how it made it smell like French fries. Make me feel hungry because it because <laughs> it smells like fries. That was a thing for a while where people were trying to. There was, like, some theory that you could run your car using, like, canola oil or something. Yeah. Yeah, you you can. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you would get it from, like, because, like, at, you know, McDonald's or whatever, they throw out their oil every night. And then people would take that. They would, like, go to McDonald's or whatever, ask them for their leftover oil and do whatever to, you know, make it combustible. But he, like, his so his Humvee was that. Um, but, yeah, that big old Humvee just drove right down the street from me one time i was like do you actually see him driving yeah like that's why i knew it was him like i was like i was like wow that's 
It's Arnold's car. Wow, that's cool. It was, it was weird because was that when he was I the see, governor? No, no, it was long after he was the governor. Like I see, you know, I see him. I used to see him a lot when I was running, and he'd always be riding his bike with like his bodyguard or something. And hmm. then, um, yeah, and then that was a separate time. That's why I thought it was really weird because I was like, well, I keep seeing this guy everywhere. <laughs> Uh, Arnold, I like him now. I hated him when he was the governor of California, but I, he has, he's a nice, good anti-fascist. So I, he's anti-fascism and I like that about him. He just like would troll Trump quite a bit. I always enjoyed that. Yeah. He, he was a person that like, you know, when push came to shove, he, he definitely called his own like beliefs or whatever into question i think and he took a stand where mm-hmm. i don't think other other people really have so i yeah definitely appreciated that appreciated that from him yeah we um go to sick bay and d is patched up billy comes to visit her and she holds her hand out and talks about their previous conversation and said that you know here's what I have to say. And then she kisses him and I wrote, she can do better. <laughs> <laughs> the scene's cute. Like Billy's like, I'm, I, I don't think I really heard you. And mm-hmm. so she kisses him again and that's cute. But I think that D can do better than Billy. I just wrote, Oh D I'm so lonely. That's what I wrote. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. I know it's terrible. <laughs> Um, then we have Rosalind and Lee at Adama's bed. Ty comes in and says a Doc Cottle is on the way. Rosalind looks at Lee sympathetically and says that he's going to be all right. And Lee says he knows. But really, neither of them know. It's just what you say. She turns to Ty and says that she assumes there's still a cell out there waiting for her. And he confirms that. So she turns back to Venner and says that she's ready to go. And they leave together. Ty goes to Lee and says that he can't believe that Lee sided with that woman over the old man. He wouldn't do that if there was a gun to his head, which there was. As far as he's concerned, Lee isn't fit to wear the uniform. And Lee agrees with that and says maybe he never was, but then again, neither is Ty. But this isn't Lee's ship, and it sure as hell isn't Ty's. It's Adama's, so when he wakes up, he'll decide what to do with both of them. And Lee kisses his dad on the forehead and heads to the brig. Ty says, thank the gods I didn't have kids. And, oh, you just <laughs> wait, Colonel. <laughs> I didn't next... think about that. <laughs> <laughs> he sits next to the bed with his bestie. And that's it for this episode. So back to that. If anybody out there is listening, you want to watch the episode of the original Battlestar. It's called Fire. And in that initial attack run that the Cylons do, they one of the ships like does a suicide run into like the bridge of Galactica, and it um, injures Adama, and Adama is in sick bay for the episode. They have to do surgery on him. The doctor comments on having to crack open his chest, um, and also there's scenes with Colonel Ty standing over him, kind of doing the same kind of same thing with the power being an issue going out hmm. um so that was another little thing i noticed uh when i watched that as well so there's definitely i didn't realize how much of a precedent 
there actually was for this episode, which felt very... Uh, I remember when I first watched it, I didn't think about that original show at all. It took me 20 years almost to think of it, so... Hmm. I don't think any so of the well writers done. ever saw it. Probably never. Um, <laughs> I don't think they've ever even heard of the original Battlestar Galactica. They're probably never. They they do, like, there's a lot of, like, the, I again, like, it's like a person like me, like, I, I watched the show as a kid, like, I was obsessed with it as a kid, but then, you know, I haven't watched it, I, there was a time in high school or something was in syndication, and I watched it again, but since then, I haven't really watched it, but I remember, like, all the iconic things, and, like, so that episode Fire, uh, the, the, um, the, pilot or movie the original movie the pegasus episodes and then the the more esoteric like um spiritual stuff that comes in in the last half of the show like i kind of remembered all that stuff but it was just vague memories you know um but anyway one other thing i wanted to talk about real quick um like we i forgot to mention um in that scene when um tyrell is uh letting help helping Sasinus pass mm -hmm. to the west to the go to the west <laughs> to the gray havens or wherever um he uh, ron moore actually talks about how the act what's his um aaron aaron douglas aaron douglas yeah aaron douglas yeah he he actually he had actually took him aside took ron moore aside later much later after they had done the episode and said that that scene was actually really difficult for him because he had actually gone through um like a it seems like it, he he was vague about it but it seemed like he had gone through an experience kind of similar where he had to like be with someone as they passed um yeah. but you yeah but you really like when you watch that scene you could really see it in him you yeah. know like you really feel it and i'm like oh maybe that's he was able to access that that feeling just outside of it just being naturally you know dramatic mm -hmm. um he definitely had that experience so just wanted i forgot to bring that up when you talked about it so. that's interesting yeah um the apartment complex that was used in this episode is later reused as the prison apartment on new caprica where leo ben holds starbuck captive yeah i think like, I understand, like, this is the same apartment complex, so that makes sense. But I think that that, that apartment in season three was modeled after her. I think Leobin purposefully modeled it after her actual apartment on Caprica. I think he probably found out where she lived. Because, like, yeah, that one it... has stairs that goes down into the apartment as well. Yeah, I mean, when I, I remember when I watched it the first time, I was like, it was clearly, like, the same... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was clearly the same apartment and yeah, it seemed like that would have been the case. Though, you know, like just from a from a story perspective that makes sense. From a practical um sense, you know, they show them breaking open the doors to rescue the people in that in that episode. But I think the scenes with Ellen are in a similar apartment like in a in a section of it or something so it looked like it might have been all the same complex I don't know. yeah i think that cylons had like they probably had a lot of people held captive in that yeah. complex and mm -hmm. for different reasons and are you referring to when ellen is with cavill yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right that's, so that's... 
So hot, that scene. <laughs> I mean, I told you that those were the, that was when I stopped reading Battlestar Sides that would come uh, through no. for auditions. When I was working at an agency, um, the sides would get released so we could submit people for um, potential auditions. And uh-huh. Battlestar ones came in and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, started reading them. And I got to that scene and I was like, I do not want to read any more of this. <laughs> not because it was like grossed out from it, but like it was such a huge spoiler that I didn't have the context of, but yeah. my brain went all in all these directions of like, holy shit, Ellen is fucking a Cylon and betraying <laughs> Ty, and this is gonna ruin the show for me. Like, I don't want to know this ahead of time. And so yeah. after that, I if if any like roles were released for people to be submitted for, I would download the side so that I could attach them to an email for the audition, but I wouldn't read them. Because I was huh. like, this is... it. I just couldn't even... Because this was like months before the show came out. Yeah. And all I could think was, if I keep reading these, it's going to spoil like major things. And I'm glad that that's where I stopped. So when I saw that scene and I understood the context of it, I was like, okay... I see what she's doing now. That's not how I interpreted these, you know, two pages that were sent. Yeah. Um, but it was very shocking. <laughs> I still I still have a similar-ish story, but I'm still trying to save it for when we get there. Okay. That involves when I met Katie Sackoff. Mm. But it was, it was kind of like the same thing. Like, I was like, oh, my God. I feel like I'm getting spoiled. <laughs> was it because of the length of her hair? <laughs> yeah, but then it, it definitely was not a spoiler. But still trying to save it for when we get to season three, and I'll tell the story. <laughs> Keep everyone on their on the edge of their seat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so was Baltar the worst this week? I say no. Yeah, no, that, absolutely not. Who gets he, full colors? I would give them the Lee. Same. You know, he got the action shot at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, just all of the little things that he did to sort of, like, he was being very methodical. He planned things very well. He kept almost everybody in this little group of his alive. He, like, the way he would, like, pump himself up a little bit and, like, get his nerve. I just mm-hmm. I just liked Lee a lot in this episode. And I actually like the the line at the very end when he's standing next to Ty, just the way he handles that scene. It's yeah. just really good. Like put it, he he put Ty in place, and you know Ty Ty knows that it. Mm-hmm. Like he was saying it in the episode before. It's not my ship. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Who would you throw out the airlock? Uh, <laughs> it'd probably crash down. Oh, I said jammer. <laughs> the fuck out of jammer here. <laughs> yeah i just i put you know because like obviously we know like we've been talking about it for a while we know like this kind of this is what crash down has become famous for i you know and actually when i was watching the scene i was really thinking about it like obviously he is responsible for tarn's death but i you know the way that um Celix was talking about it it was like they waited too long to be able to administer him anything. And I was like, yeah, like if they had gotten that med kit from the start, Sinus might not have died either. And 
just that that made that whole thing even worse. And then he tries to put it on Tyrrell for you got to handle it. Yeah. Like he wants to take all the responsibility for making all these decisions. Um, and and if anybody doesn't follow what he says, he just has a like a fit about it. But in this case, he's just like, oh no, it's not my problem. Yeah, you know? it's not it's my guy. Like, I can't make that decision. Yeah, so it's like screw that guy. Yeah. We still love you, Crash Down, but <laughs> you're just just not right now. Who is your favorite <laughs> Cylon this week? Uh, the uh, Cylon that gets blown up when he's jumping through the air. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just said. That I think it's the only I one we see. Yeah, like I don't have a favorite. We see six, like head six, but like mostly the Cylons in this are just these Centurions, and they're. There's no telling them apart. Yeah, they they mentioned uh, and I, you know it's it's kind of obvious now, but they mentioned that uh, like this 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 episode and the one after it, I think maybe or no. Uh, anyway, we don't see Sharon at all in this episode, so yeah. it was that's kind of interesting. So, um, where can people find you? You can find me everywhere. You can find me at the Armeg Threeden on Instagram, uh, First Noel Chronicles, Podcasting After Dark, um, a TV Obscura present. No, Podcasting After Dark presents TV Obscura, where we talk about old TV shows and cartoons. And I can finally announce that I have. Um, launching my uh, motion comic version of Angela and the Dark, which was a comic book I published in 2018. Um, And we have, um, as a part of it, the theme music was written by one Murray Gold, who uh, a lot of people know is the, was and now is again the composer of Doctor Who. Oh, is he back because Davies is back? Yeah, nice. yeah, he, he, um, yeah, he, I don't know how much I can say. It was officially announced, yes, it was officially announced, so he, yeah, so he's back, and um, he wrote, he wrote the theme song in between um, turning in new music for, uh, <laughs> for the new Doctor Who, so that's like a fun little uh, trivia question that will be. Um, hopefully in 10 to 20 years, people will be talking about. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, we'll, we'll be putting, um, we'll be putting it out in a few weeks. And obviously I'll let you guys know when, uh, when it's live, but it's coming soon. And that's about it. Can people watch the trailer? Yes, they can watch the trailer. We have, um, I posted it on, um, our, in- inst- I didn't post it on my Instagram yet. Um, I posted it on my personal Instagram at um, the Armageddon. Um, I'll be putting it up on the uh, Angel in the Dark Instagram soon, and I'll be putting it up on um, YouTube as well. It's not up yet. So, um, so yeah, we'll just be doing a, like a rollout of some trailers and promos and stuff for the next few weeks. And then uh, when it's all ready, we'll be releasing it, and hopefully people aren't turned away from it (laughs) i don't know why they would be it looks great yeah thank you you know it's my it's my insecure artist thing (laughs) happening no you have to have confidence everybody's gonna love it 
yeah, my self, my self-loathing as I move through every day. But it's like, no, it's fine. It's great. Yeah, but <laughs> so it, I'm a, like, I, that's why I, I, that's why I identify with Starbucks. You know what I mean? So. Also, because you are a DJ and a security guard and a cop. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I do have, like, multiple jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> um, well, you can find us on Twitter at GalactuallyPod. You can email us your questions or comments or concerns or your stories about when you met Katie Sackoff at Galactica Actually Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. You can find my past podcasting work at the Unspoiled Network. I did Doctor Who, Lost, Band of Brothers, The Punisher, and Vampire Diaries. And next week is Fragged. Fragged. Where Fragged. I believe we say goodbye to Crashdown. Yep. Say goodbye. We're gonna we're gonna play a little. We should we should play a little. Uh, it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. Um, pour out some ambrosia. <laughs> Real quickly, I forgot. I actually um, we actually have um, Galactica actually Instagram as well Ooh. now. So yeah, so um, I'll be posting lots of episodes, uh, some of the stuff that we've done before. Some other side stuff, some interesting things. Um, um, feel free to like comment and you know ask us questions there if you'd like. Is that and just Galactica actually? Yeah, it's just Galactica actually. Cool. Yeah, I will. Very easy. Need to follow that myself. Yeah. All right. Well, until then, what do you hear? Nothing but the rain. Bye. See ya. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 